Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to SheerClarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Hey everyone, Jay Kevin McHugh here with another episode of Sheer Clarity. This is the podcast where I talk with top business leaders about how to become a leader by attraction. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that within seconds of meeting you, people believe they can trust you, that you're open, you have no hidden agendas, and you are intensely committed to helping them succeed. They actually care about you and you can feel it. So sheer clarity is that journey to getting extreme self-awareness. Today's episode is brought to you by JKM Management Development. I founded it in 1990 and we coach executives and their teams to practice leadership by attraction by getting self-aware and self-managing. So that's what happens. You can learn more all about it at sheerclarity.com. So let's get right to our guest today. My guest is Lisa Stein from Columbus, Ohio. Lisa, I've known her, I guess we met, we figured out maybe 15 years ago, 12 or 15 years ago. She is a CEO, she's a founder, she's a tech entrepreneur, she has an amazing story, I'll let her tell it to you, but after we got uh, a little time to prep for our, our show today, I became completely convinced that I need to get out of the way and we need to hear her story. She has self-awareness, uh, she's humble about it. And uh, at the end of the day, you'll hear more about what it's like to run essentially a virtual company and the challenges of creating culture, letting culture happen and seeing where that goes. So with that said, welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you. you. So delighted to be here, Kevin. Thanks for uh, thinking of me. And um, I'm really um, honored by your optimistic viewpoint (laughs) (laughs) about how self-aware and evolved I am. I hope I don't disappoint. No, you cannot. That's the, that's the fun part about self-awareness. It never ends. Everybody thinks it's like some destination you get there, but you really don't because your life keeps changing around you and it requires you to be assessing every day. Um, so let's start here. Let the, you know, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, and start with like today. What are you doing today? Like when you get up okay. and you got to consume your time and your passion and your energy, um, what are you doing? And then uh, after we get a footprint, uh, brag on the company too, because there's some pretty cool stuff that I learned when I was sure. getting research here. And then uh, we'll talk about your path to getting here. Okay, sounds great. So, gosh, today, um, my days are as varied as probably yours are, but they're way more flexible than they used to be because the company is about 20 years old, at least the the main, my primary company that I'm running right now is about 20 years old. We have a terrific team, and so I get to focus on um, working on the business instead of in the business, which is a real joy at this point in my life. Um, so mostly I am focused on big picture stuff. I'm focused on culture and I'm focused on strategy. Uh, and those are my primary roles in, in my company right now. It's also a very interesting time because I recently sold my software company in uh, August of 2019. So just about six months ago. 
And that's really also shifted my focus. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's, I'm in the, one of those times in your business life and personal life as well, when you get to take a step back and say, okay, what, what do I want to do for the, right. for the rest of my life? And <laughs> so I'm in a, I'm in a transitional period. So I spend a lot of time thinking about what's next for me. What is my highest and best use to my company? What is my highest and best use to my family? And where are the, um, areas that I want to dedicate my focus, my my assets, my time and my resources yeah. for the next twenty or thirty years. So it's a it's a uber luxury to have I, that. I love that. This. Uh, Mention the company names. I mean, oh, that'll help. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> okay, so my primary, the business that I started twenty plus years ago, um, the the corporate name is Revolutions, but the brand that the people in the marketplace would know is called Spin Life. And we are the largest retailer of durable medical equipment in the U.S. So when you see those little mobility scooters that people zip around in, um, and you see power wheelchairs, um, we're the largest seller of those in the U.S. Um, wow. Possibly, possibly the world, but certainly the U.S. Um, for most of the categories, um, it is not a business that uh, you know. I didn't grow up. Um, as a small child thinking, oh, I, I want to be in the wheelchair business. I want to sell, <laughs> sell wheelchairs. It's my dream. Uh, but boy, has it been incredibly um, rewarding. I mean, it's a really, it's a great, one of those businesses that where you're both doing well and doing good. Yes. Um, we, ch we change yes. people's lives every day. And let me tell you, it is my favorite thing um, to hear from a customer or one of our team members about how we've changed somebody's life. So it sounds hokey, but man, it really, it fills, you know, it fills up your, cup. Um, so the core business is fantastic. The bottom line is you, you started a, as a research analyst of some kind. I saw that. You did. So I'm a data geek from way back. Yeah. Well, t start there. Like, tell me a little bit about childhood growing up and how you ended up when you went to college going, okay, I think I'll be a geek. I'll be a quantitative analyst. I was just a geek. Um, a geek before it was popular, finance. Now, that was the sexy uh, major when I was getting my MBA, and I was maybe the only person in market research. There were three of us in the whole school. But, you know, I was a data geek. I grew up, I had an idyllic childhood, really. Um, um, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. So my grandfather started multiple businesses, and uh, a true Horatio Alger story, although maybe that name is too old for people know, listening to I, Maybe I I'm know. dating myself by using that phrase, but truly a rags to riches is maybe a better, more <laughs> universal phrase. Um, he was an amazing guy. And then my grant, my father joined the business and, um, and ran it and did uh, a tremendous amount of strategic planning. So that's what I heard around the dinner table at night was uh, listening okay. to my family talk about uh, both starting and growing businesses. Right. Um, and so I, that was just um, an integral part of my childhood learning. It never occurred to me that I would ever work for somebody else because people in my family didn't do that. Right. <laughs> we no, did our no, own thing. Nobody things. had to complain about the man, right? Like <laughs> Exactly. There was no the man. It was yeah. just the entity and the people that worked for the entity and the team members and uh, oh the, the folks that worked with my dad and my grandfather were our neighbors. And so it was just so woven into the fabric of our oh, lives, um, the business. So that was a great experience. Now, it was a meat business. And I was a vegetarian, which was just, you know, looking back, probably a oh my, my God, you were ahead of your time again. You were ahead well, of your time again. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, this was vegetarian before. <laughs> That's right, exactly. I would have been really cool back then. You couldn't get anything to eat at a restaurant. I ate a lot of pasta. That was kind of it. You were a culinary but geek. I was a culinary time. geek, and I'm certain that was my, you know, my form of teenage rebellion coming from a family that made meat mm-hmm. products. Um, but, uh, but it was a great business. I didn't want to stay in it, um, and be third generation because I was, you know, I, I, it was, I grew up in a smaller town. I always knew I wanted to go do my own thing, but I'm so appreciative of the, um, lessons I learned from my father and from my grandfather. Um, yeah, so I was really encouraged to go for it. Um, I just, I grew up in a family of, you can be whatever you want to be and yeah, Yeah, just zero limits just zero limits. Um, what I probably didn't realize at the time, which um, I, I really figured out when I was in my 40s, is that I was uh, probably um, strongly ADD as a kid, which meant not many girls are, uh, yeah. and certainly not then. So that also played, I, looking back now, I realize as a leader what a huge role that played in defining who I was, um, hmm. in both good ways and bad ways. Um, yeah, Te- tease that out a little bit more. I mean, if you go, you're, you're looking back now and you're recalling that, you know, what was what was your today? Of course, we have the term ADD, but what did it mean to you back then? How were they describing you as a little girl? Like she can't sit still, or no, it was more a she just wants to do what she wants to do. Headstrong and headstrong, and I will go on, figure out. If somebody said no to me, I figured out how to get under it, over it, around it. Yeah. But if I had a vision and I knew what I wanted, I was just going to do what I wanted to do. Luckily, mostly it was channeled, I think because I had such a terrific upbringing, it was channeled in a very positive direction. So my parents gave me every opportunity. And so I channeled it toward, you know, ballet or piano or uh, theater or, you know, just excelling at everything that I, every mountain that was put in front of me, I tried to climb as high as I could. So certainly my parents did a great job of channeling it. They, they would never have identified it in those days as ADD. So, so the down, can, you know, can, go ahead. connect the, connect the software business. And what, what, you know, what was the first thing you did? What was it, you know, when you were in the workplace doing a number of things, and earning and learning and, and but when did when did this entrepreneurial thing actually when you look back on it and say what was it and when did it start sure, so sure and I, I actually think this is kind of an interesting topic because of how this millennial generation thinks about entrepreneurship um you know you and i are both in the position where we get to mentor and talk to a lot of younger people and there's this perception that if you haven't started, if you're not an entrepreneur and you haven't started your business, by the time you're 23 or 25, you're a failure, which mm. is just ridiculous. I mean, I worked for amazing companies and learned things that I needed in order to be a successful entrepreneur. I knew ultimately I'd do my own thing, but right. I spent six years working, um, doing market research in an industrial design firm where I first encountered design um, the design process, and it really um, made me completely rethink business. And from that point forward, I had a much more balanced viewpoint of business as the art of numbers and creativity. Wow. Where you know my background before was market research, and I had an MBA, and it was all about the numbers, numbers, numbers. And then I worked with these brilliant designers who were focused on the personal experience that people had with products or services. 
and I learned to think differently. So that was the first great leap forward in my career was softening my numerical orientation with creativity. Right. Right. And so what, what was the first entrepreneurial thing you did? What, what? The first thing, well, then I went on to work in a bigger corporation. And within that corporation, um, worked for a terrific, amazing guy named Bob Walter in Columbus, Ohio, um, at a firm called Cardinal Health, which is well known now, but I think I was something like employee 64, early days. Yeah. Um, he was tremendously um, supportive of an entrepreneurial venture that we started within this broader company. Yeah. Okay. And it was a tech company. So my, I took this, you know, my market research background, and we ended up buying the small company that had this terrific little early tech touchscreen product. We, and, and I got a chance to build it into this software and hardware product for the pharmaceutical industry. Gotcha. Um, so on somebody else's dime, literally, I had my first sort of entrepreneurial experience of building a tech company. Outstanding. It was outstanding. Yeah. I was so lucky. I just had really amazing um, mentors who were so, willing to so invest what, in so me. The value of a mentor becomes very important here and is part of the story. And, and there was a, a place, a context, and a time of learning. I'm just thinking of the listeners who may be in that millennial category or even, you know, younger listeners, I, I, I know I have a, a bunch of them actually, and they tune into the early stage of the show and it was the concepts of sheer clarity and they loved it. But what, what I'm hearing you say now is a, you already grew up in a place where that's the dinner table conversation and it was there. And then you got your education and you were geekified and interested in the quantitative analysis from there you turned into a numbers person and then you ended up in Cardinal where you were sort of cut loose and, and set free. You were encouraged and mm-hmm. given a chance, but you're saying that the value for you at that time was the time in there, whether it's eight years or so, give or take, you were learning and you were gathering and you were understanding and you were getting an education about, a bigger picture of business, which you're suspicious that younger folks aren't appreciating the value. I I think they don't. I think they think everybody has to be a Zuckerberg. And if you're not, you're a failure. But the, one of the greatest opportunities to learn is to, you know, um, be in organizations and, and to find those people that are willing to, I mean, the thing that people did for me, um, that I now try to recreate, have tried to recreate my whole career as a leader has been to find those individuals who have that spark of interest and passion and give them silly, ridiculous amounts of responsibility. Oh. Throw it at them. And it's so interesting to see who can rise to that right. challenge of um, almost too much freedom and too much responsibility. Um, but, but people will... Um, strong people will rise to that and mm-hmm. um, and out of that can come amazing um, managers and amazing um, developers. Uh, so that's that was done for me. I learned from that and I try to practice that as a leader. Were you, um, were you conscious that that failure was going to be a part of that for, for these folks that it was okay to fail? Because that's the, that's the thing I'm watching now is you know, learning, there's nothing like a failure to teach you. There's nothing mm-hmm. like crashing and burning to, to, to learn. I mean, that's how my career ends. I crash and burn because I was a troublesome child and a troublesome employee and I kept being in trouble. And, you know, one day it's like, okay, I'm on my own. So guess what? Now I'm here. It's 30 years later. So failing to me, and I've heard this in tech and you can tell me if it's applied, 
um, I heard the term fail fast. Like, Absolutely. Just, it's, a, it's true, right? It's true. You have to. There's no, especially in tech, as fast as it moves, um, there's a early on in the company. Now, I should share that I left Cardinal after about four years, bought a small company, then morphed it into Spin Life, which is the okay. e-commerce company, right? So we back then, we, there was no software for us. We write, wrote all our own software. And essentially, we, we became a tech company because mm. you had to be a tech company in order to become, at that time, in order to be an e-commerce company. That's not true anymore. Uh, but at the time, it was. And um, uh, and, and we used to say to people, 70%, go. It, you can't be 100%. Right. Um, now we're probably big enough that we tell people, okay, you probably should be 80 or 85% right. done with whatever you're launching. But it's been the biggest challenge of getting people into the company from large corporations because they are so used to having to dot every I and cross every T yes. and they live in fa- fear of launching something that might fail. And our message is our, my greatest challenge with folks like that, especially at senior level is to get them comfortable that it's okay to fail, right. but try just get it out there. It's 80% done. Go, we'll fix it along the way. And we got to find quickly if it works or doesn't work. And then we pivot and Thanks. you just throw it out there and you figure it out. Yeah. Uh- I love this. This is great. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of the people listening, you know, if they're, if they're in a corporate environment that celebrates innovation and, and has a culture that says it's okay to go 80% and then see how it works and then we'll figure it out along the way. Um, and I'm suspecting if you're stuck in one of those that wants 99% or all the corporate muckety mucks that have to check off and sign off and get worried about it. I mean, those environments are not going to last long in this world because things are moving no. too fast to, to behave like that. Yeah. And imagine yeah it's, a, getting, it's a totally different world though. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me, let me pivot for a minute. Um, failures, you know, we're talking about products and launches and, and all the good things that go with that. Um, what about for you? What, what have been the most vibrant lessons that you've learned about leading people? I mean, getting people inspired, getting people to want to please you, uh, to buy into the, the mission, the vision. And, you know, at some point there's times when leaders actually have negative feedback or <laughs> no, <laughs> I, <laughs> Wow. I don't think your podcast is long enough for all of my no, my, good, well, my trips. I am truly ex- an experiential learner, so yeah, I've well, had my share. I I am I'm a one man railing against the machine because the machine out there today is all about positivity and positive feedback and yada 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 and I'm like, "No. The yeah. greatest feedback, the most useful feedback you're ever going to get is the kind that just hurts like hell. Hmm. It's embarrassing. You feel stupid. You go, Oh my God. I mean, there's, there's just, and just receiving it and learning from it becomes crucial. Well, and and I, I think the greatest thing as leaders that we can do and I try to do is, um, is just, um, use it as an, not only a personal um, learning opportunity, but a shared learning opportunity. I try, when I make a mistake, I try really hard to just, not only just own it, but share it. Like, oh, I screwed up. I screwed up. Here's where I went. Here's here's where I was wrong. I I you know I we had one this this week. Um, we had some conflict amongst the senior team and some little challenges in our during our budgeting process this year. And when all you know, I heard everybody's input. 
as we are talking about how do we need to do this differently moving forward. And I realized entirely my fault. This was not an issue of the team members. One of them wasn't right. It wasn't that they had conflict or were either one of them. They weren't wrong. I, I teed them up for failure. Hmm. So it was 100% my fault. And, um, and I try really hard in those moments to just be very transparent. And because there's no downside to being transparent. Right. I, and one of the, I will also tell you that one of the beautiful things about hitting um, 50 as a woman, and yes, whoever's listening, I am well, well, <laughs> well into it. <laughs> and by the way, that's an interview question I could never ask. I know that's why I brought it up. I just, I, this me too, Janet, right? You got to be very careful. <laughs> I'll happily admit um, I'm it. well into it. But I will tell you, there's something about hitting 50 universally for females. You just stop caring what other people think negatively. You really do. It's, it's hormonal, I swear. I, I, I don't know. You, I, I've talked, so, you know, my friends and I talk about it. There's just some switch that happens and you just say, I just don't care anymore. Yeah. Not always necessarily in the best ways, but um, I, have no, I have no problem admitting. Um, it's so easy for me right now in ways that it wasn't when I was younger to admit that I was wrong and I screwed up. You know, the costs are, are lower. Um, and the gains are higher. And so it just, it feels yeah. good to say, God, you guys, that, this was me. I, it wasn't you guys. It was me. I you teed said, you up. Yeah. Listen, you said something at the very beginning. You thought that maybe I was being overly optimistic or complimentary about your self-awareness. Actually, I'll tell you, I have a way of making a living as an executive coach, which actually counts on people not actually having that spirit you just talked about. I have many clients, I have to coach and teach what it means. That what you just said in a nutshell, I'm so glad you've said it. I know I've commented on it in the prior podcast when I was just spouting off, but I want to just reiterate for the audience, listen to what Lisa Stein just said to you. At a certain age and I don't, and the sooner the better it doesn't, you don't have to wait to be 50 plus. If you can get it at 30, all the better. Oh, that's, that would be fabulous. It's You'll just have easy. 20 years of extra ahead yeah. of the crowd. But she said, transparency, owning your mistakes is there's no downside. That's a quote. And how did you learn that? What do you, I mean, I think you're, you're giving yourself, you're shortchanging yourself. I think you've been a learner. Maybe you just noticed it at an age category, but there's a problem. It probably occurred earlier. Are you aware of when you, this change happened where I don't care that I don't care feeling? Oh, very clearly uh, in, in the last decade. Um, and, and, uh, it, 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 meaning that I don't care that it, somebody knows that I failed, like that I no longer uh, feel embarrassed by failure or feel like I need to hide failure. Um, as it turns out, I was fired from a job, my job at Cardinal, ultimately I was fired from um, in a really nice way. Um, <laughs> like nobody knew that I didn't have to tell anybody. It was nobody knew that I was fired. Um, but essentially looking back, I was, and for years I wouldn't admit that. Right. And, um, and now I do because I think, why would I not? I mean, it just was a fact of life and it wasn't a reflection of, 
um, me, you know, those at that point in your career early on, you take that thing as a reflection of your self-worth. As now that I manage people, I realize it just wasn't the right fit at the right, that moment. Right. It wasn't a f- reflection of right. self-worth or, or how somebody valued me. It was not the right fit for me and for that company in that moment. Right. Um, and, it, and so, you know, there's, there's, I look back, there's so many things I will happily, um, failures I will happily admit to now that, um, and gosh, that's a good question. Why now? I just think it's years of experience. Okay. It's years of having the advantage of managing people and seeing their amazing strengths and weaknesses and knowing why you have somebody in a role and what makes them tick and what makes them um, succeed or not succeed in a role that you can now go back and see yourself in your own young adulthood right. with a much more sympathetic eye. <laughs> right? Yes. Does, well, I, I will ask you this. Is there a, uh, a moment of negative feedback that you do recall in terms of some clarity or specifics that like, who it came from or where it came from or how it arrived? Um, I have to tell you, I've been really lucky that I, I have not, I've had more experiences where I was aware that I was, perf- that I had done something okay. um, less advantageously than I could have as opposed to specific feedback. The um, I don't think that I had people, um, I had great mentors. I can't tell you that I necessarily had great feedback um, early on. And I think that that's, you know, that's uh, having crucial conversations and learning how to have crucial conversations is, I think, such an important part of becoming a good leader because you can't provide good feedback. You can't create change. Correct. Correct. That's a quote. Without the feedback, you can't change. And I still think that negative feedback is the teacher. It, it's pointing out, we like to use the term constructive criticism. Great. It still has to point out something is not as good as it could be, could be better. That was your responsibility. It didn't happen. And now what are we going to do about it? And to have the courage to be able to say that to people, yeah, I appreciate your effort, but the outcome isn't where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So having the feedback that it feels, it doesn't feel good. And if you actually are saying, well, I don't know if I had a direct interpersonal feedback where somebody criticized me, what you're telling me is, although I have plenty of evidence that from a decision I made or something didn't come out the way I wanted or wow, this didn't work, still negative in its first blush. But mm-hmm. here's what I think. I'm hearing you do with that. You know, I think it would have been a favor to me if I had gotten some more crucial feedback earlier in my career. There you go. I think it would have been a favor. I think people are afraid to do that. It's still hard to do. Nobody wants to deliver tough news, right? But when you get to have those first couple of experiences of delivering tough news and then watching things get better, you begin to understand the power that that clear feedback to people what a gift it is to receive and to give yeah absolutely i believe it's a gift i'm going to pivot one of the things that we talked about when we were prepping is that you really have what today is called a remote based company your people are spread around 
and there's not a collective that comes to the office every day and we huddle around the break room and what have you. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've been doing in terms of the culture and what's your consciousness of about how hard it can be for people to feel identity and connection when mm-hmm. they work remotely? Maybe you give sure. us a little understanding how that Sure. Works. And, you know, we were, frankly, a little cocky about it for a lot of years. We thought, oh, this, this works great. We have this um, about two-thirds of our workforce works remotely from home across the U.S., and now we have folks in the Philippines as well. And uh, we thought, oh, this is terrific. Everybody's happy and gosh, aren't we special? And we decided to do a little survey um, just so we could just read directly how special we were. And imagine my surprise when um, it turns out that um, all was not uh, golden in mm-hmm. the world. Um, people felt disconnected. They felt like they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know why we were making decisions. The people, that there was a, about a third of the company does work in a central location office and they didn't know what, how we were spending our time or what we were doing. So while they were out there working really hard, you know, I'm sure they're envisioning people back here eating bonbons with our feet up on our desk, which of course is not <laughs> happening. But um, we realized that um, we had to over-communicate. Um, so we quickly put some rules in place and some structure in place to make sure that we were over-communicating mm. about what was going on in the office to the folks that are out in the field. So we do things like, it's, and it's not, this is not rocket science, um, but things as simple as um, every Monday morning, the senior team has a huddle and we uh, all put together a list of what we call a WHTW, what's happening this week. And it goes out rain or shine. And if I am on a trip, then one of um, the other senior team members puts it together. It's out by 9.30 a.m. on Monday morning. And it's a bolded list of everything that's happening in each major department hmm. that week. Here's the meetings we're having. Here's who's out sick. Here's the, our, here are our goals for the week. Here's the, what the team is working on. Here's what's going to launch. Here's what's testing. And, and I know how powerful it is because when I'm on the road traveling and I get that, I love to read it. And I right. should mostly know, but I don't remember everything that's going on. And I love to read it and say, oh, gosh, now I have a really strong sense of what the rest of the team is working on. So that minor change made a huge difference. Um, we also try to communicate when we have internal meetings. We, have a, we end the meetings with, a, what are we going to share from this meeting? And then we consciously go out and share it. So the, any kind of senior team meeting ends with, a, um, ends with that, um, here's what happened. Um, we also have a rule that says if you're talking to somebody in the company, you are looking them in the eye. That doesn't mean you're face-to-face with them in person, but it does mean you're face-to-face with them through video chat. Gotcha. So we have an extensive video chat, and the rule is there's no, you know, you don't pick up the phone, you video. interact with somebody on video, because then you have to be fully present. Yep. You can't be multitasking while you're talking to them. You're looking them in the eye, and you can read their body language and their facial expressions, and I think it changes everything. Great lesson. I hope people who are listening right now, um, and actually you just gave me a gift, a moment of sheer clarity. I, I try to end the podcast telling people what I got, but here's a good one. I think I just got, I'm very, I operate fast, so I want to be productive. So I'm usually doing a lot with the phone and an earbud and I think I'm being effective. I think you just convinced me I need to do far more conferences the way we're doing this call 
we're doing video now. I obviously wanted to do video for exactly the reasons you said. To have an interview and have an engagement, I mean, I feel like I'm hanging out with you and, you know, we're, we see each other. I agree. I think it's an entirely different conversation. And I was so delighted when you proposed that because if you hadn't, I would have. It changes <laughs> the conversation, right? You can just read what's going on with people. Yeah. So uh, just a reminder, everyone, it, maybe it takes, what, a, a three extra minutes to finally, you know, figure out how Zoom or Skype or something works. But, right. you know, come on. It's game changing have, it. Oh, yeah. And then when we have group meetings, everybody's participating and we'll do them from our desks. So you can have a far more effective meeting, even if funny enough, with all these little pictures, building, <laughs> you can have a far more effective meeting because you can see everybody equally versus right. three people in a conference room and two people remotely. And it, you know, we do, we have to do some of that, but yeah. um, we, we, we've just found that that makes a difference. And then there is no substitute for face to face. And once or twice yeah. a year, we bring everybody in the company in, for a full week yeah. um, of socializing and learning and reconnecting and 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 we're still learning. Um, we one of the things that also happens as your company gets bigger is that the cultural values that seem so self-evident when you are working next to people um, um, are clearly don't translate across three thousand miles. Um, so I, I would get surprised when we had people that shared that they were unhappy with a coworker or unhappy with the company. Um, or they were behaving in ways that were inconsistent with our value system, then I'd realize, you know, they never worked with me. They were never in the office with me. They didn't get a chance to see me exhibit and demonstrate mm -hmm. our value system or the senior team interact together in positive ways. So why would I expect them to in somehow, right. in, uh, by a process of osmosis, figure out what our value system was? So we've become... Um, much more specific about institutionalizing our value system right. um, and literally working as a team to define what it is and writing it down and communicating it. And really, I think that's my job right now. I yeah. am chief value officer <laughs> uh, because that's my highest and best use in the company. Amen. Amen. I, I, I talk about culture a lot when I do my work and when it's a privately held organization, I just look at the owner, the CEO, and I say, you're the culture. What do you mean? No, you're it. Any, anything that's happening down the chart, whether it's umbrage about this or this or that, or everything is teed off, off of you. Yeah, and you don't, have to, you, you don't have to just do anything but come in the office and be yourself. Guess what? That's your culture. 100%. That's and you it. can't fake it. It is what it is. No. It's like your kids. You know, they don't follow what you say. They follow what you do. And, right. and the workplace is the same. I have a episode on the podcast. Um, I'll remind people who might be listening the first time to go out there and check it out. It's called imposter syndrome. And it's, it's real out there. And what can happen is, is people who are not self-aware, you know, they're not tuned into how they roll and what their emotional systems are like, and they're not conscious about it. They will start forming a picture of what they're supposed to be looking like, walking like, talking like, sounding like, and because they read it in a book or they saw it on a, on a show or they did enough YouTube videos and they're not in touch with authenticity. So they end up getting to a place in their role where they're successful. And what do we do? We all, we promote them. Mm -hmm. Eventually we all will get promoted to something we're probably not ready for. Mm. Now yeah, classic that, Peter principle. Yeah. That's right. And if going back to what you said earlier, we're afraid to admit that 
we don't know. We're afraid to say, I'm unclear, I'm unsure, um, but I'll figure it out, right? The next thing we know is we start trying to act like we do know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And guess what happens? You now have the seeds of the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And if it goes on long enough, you're the only one who doesn't know. Everyone else does. Mm -hmm. that, that you are the imposter. You that mean. you're the imposter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, they just, and they can talk about you behind your back. So this, this idea of, of being honest with yourself becomes crucial. And it sounds like you've, you discovered that early. Is that, would you say that's true? You know, I think that um, one of the, I talked about ADD and its manifestations. And one of the um, uh, ADD, some folks with ADD are just um, eternally optimistic and don't have a strong memory of failure. And that's a, that can be a huge gift. Oh, yeah. And so I think that as an entrepreneur, um, one, of the, one of the true attributes of entrepreneurs is lack of, they don't even, people say, oh, you're not, you're not afraid to fail. You just don't ever conceive that you will. Which <laughs> <Right? laughs> sounds crazy, never but it just never occurred to me that I would have failed. <laughs> I suppose it could happen, but um, yeah. so I, I've also um, really enjoyed the um, having amazing team members um, work for me. So mm -hmm. I've never been around people. I don't um, enjoy being around people who feel like they have all the answers. So those aren't people that I would hire. And so I've naturally ended up with colleagues who are collaborative and thoughtful. And so when you're around people like that, I don't think you feel like you have to have all the answers. I don't think anybody's ever looked at me and thought I needed all the answers. I have tried to hire people who within their area know a lot more than I do, and I've succeeded in doing that. And so I can sit back and let them... Um, you know, let them shine. That's my favorite thing is having somebody in every role that's better at it than I am. Yeah. That's the, uh, that reminds me of the, uh, the good to great, uh, book. It's, it's old now. It's gotta be 15, 18 years, but we talked about being able to shine the light on the people and give them the credit and put them up on the stage and to genuinely enjoy that, mm -hmm. to actually have the ability to like really let go and not, care about your stuff and your accolades and your shining light, something has to be true about you. You, you have to be yeah. self-confident and self-assured at a point where you can give it away. It, I want to give it away. Yeah. It's not about me. It's that, that's the whole idea of what I'm trying to do with the, the sheer clarity is to get you at a place where all of your inside nonsense that's making you insecure, second-guessing yourself, playing for the crowd, uh, trying to be somebody or not, all that stuff, if you've got all that going on underneath, there's no way you have the capacity or the energy to just give away recognition to others. Well, and you can't build a business that way. It would be not only exhausting, but I think almost impossible. You simply have to be, to build um, a business quickly in a tech business, and I've done two of them now, yeah. you have to be willing to let others into the show, 
right? You, That's you, right. It's, there's no other way to do it. So but I want the uh, listeners, I want my uh, listeners to hear this because listen, you're, you're coming at it from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you know, like from childhood. But if you're, let's say a generational business and you become the main kahuna because of who your grandfather was or your father was, this other stuff doesn't enter the picture. No, and I think it's it's so interesting. It's such an interesting topic because, um, of course, um, you know, you and I know each other from a business organization called YPO, where there are a lot of family businesses. And I grew up in a family business. I've seen, and it was um, not a challenging environment. My father and my grandfather had a very good relationship, and I'm certain that had I gone into the business, um, my dad would have been terrific to work with. Um, but I've also seen my share of every horror story of what <laughs> yeah. families can inflict on each other and yes. in general, gener generational businesses. <clears throat> so, um, you know, the, to, it is very different thing to come at it from an entrepreneurial perspective. You don't have that history. You're writing that's it together. Right. You're writing right. the history together. And that's a very powerful. When you're creating the stories together, that's, that's a very powerful way um, to build culture. Uh, because it's not, you're not imposing it from the top down. You're building it with the people around you. Yes. Um, imagine, me, imagine being the third or fourth generation and you're trying mm -hmm. to create your stamp and over your shoulder in the conference room are 10 foot tall portraits uh, oh. <laughs> like staring you in the back. <laughs> Going, Absolutely. Are I you going to hold up the company banner? The company. Are banner? you going to? Are you? And worse, are you going to be the one to screw it up? Oh, it's it, uh, it's awful. And to watch how what that does to people, I have a special place in my heart for yeah. generational family business people because um, it's brutal. Um, oh, and yeah. my kids have asked the you know asked the question, or people ask the question, are your kids going to take over your any of the businesses? And my answer is definitively no flipping way. Yeah. I think the greatest joy, one of the you know, greatest joy of my life was having built it myself. Yeah. And 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 having started from scratch and and built the culture of a company and found great people. Uh, yeah. colleagues to work with like that is one of the that's the thing I'm the most other than my uh, my children and my my husband it's the thing that brings me the greatest joy and so um, I don't want to deprive my children of the opportunity to build something themselves so I think it's a, a huge mistake when I people just hand things to their kids you it's not even about spoiling them you're depriving them of the joy of self development. Yeah. And that to me is maybe the greatest gift I think I can share with my children is, is teeing them up for success. Yep. Um, and frankly, I would, I would share that about my employees as well. The greatest thing I can share with them is not handing them anything, but positioning them for success Amen. so Amen. that they, they get it and they know they did it because they earned it. Yep. Well, we, we're, this is, we could go on. I mean, I love you. You are a great interview. I've been blessed with great interviews and you're just right up there. So here's the question I always ask everybody at the very end. Um, the first thing I do is I download a couple moments of sheer clarity for myself. And I think I named them along the way, this idea of owning mistakes, being okay to make mistakes, owning them just flat out. What a great way to lead and what a great culture to set. Like there's no penalty here for trying and failing. We don't, we don't penalize that. Right. So that was one. The other one was 
up your, your video conferencing game, no matter where you are, whatever your business is, if you're doing stuff on a regular phone, move it to the video format because the quality of the communication will get way better. And then this last piece is another great sheer clarity moment is there's something to be said about self-determination and the way it feels when you've done it and it wasn't handed to you. So thank you. There are numerous other gifts that you've deposited. So here's your last uh, uh, gift opportunity. Just share this about yourself. Imagine today standing where you are. I've just crossed the 50 threshold here or there, give it take a year or so. And you turn around and you look all the way back and you find the 23-year-old Lisa Stein. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give her? Uh, yeah, I'll tell you exactly, and it's the advice I've given both of my children, is to worry way less about not just what other people think, but don't assume that other people's behavior has anything to do with you, that people are all just trying to make it through the day and that when you spend too much time worrying about others' reactions to you, you're really worrying about their reactions to, their, to themselves, that it has way less to do with you than you could possibly imagine. And that's a gift I've learned over time is I no longer uh, uh, invest myself in worrying about others, something that happened and whether it had to do with me or what somebody thought about me, because mm -hmm. I've realized that we're all just trying to get through the day <laughs> and in the best way that we can. And that, uh, that um, there's, that was occupying way too much, that occupied way too much mental energy in yeah. my head for many decades. And that's a gift I hope I, that my children can learn not experientially, but instead take it to heart. Because um, if I'd spent less time on that, I would have spent more time on things that mattered more. Yeah, I love so that's it. the advice I would tell my 23-year-old self-absorbed, self-absorbed self. Yeah, worried less about what others think and just go forward. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Lisa. This has been an outstanding interview once again. And uh, Tell me a little bit about what you'd prefer. If people want to go check out the company, what uh, websites would you point them to? Sure. Well, spinlife.com is the core business. We didn't really talk about my software business. That is, um, was called Oris Intel, and it was purchased um, in July by a company called Price Spider. So you can go check out pricespider.com. I just got done a few minutes ago and talking to one of my uh, executives who's now part of this larger organization, and they are just going gangbusters, and I couldn't be happier about that. It's created lots of new opportunities. So check out Price Spider. It's the leader. Um, leading e-commerce tool to help brands protect their equity on the web. And I'm super proud of having been part of, you know, creating all of that. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So pricespider.com and spinlife.com. All right, everyone. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode of Sheer Clarity. Uh, thank you again, Lisa. And if you want to learn more and listen to the uh, episodes we have out, go to sheerclarity.com and we'll see you again next time. Thanks. <laughs>